Training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. Hello, everybody. This is the Pendola Project. I'm your host, Matt Pendola. And I am Jake Parker. And we are here today with episode 25, all about running, running equipment, shoes, and Reno Running Company specifically. Our guest today is Matt Balzer. He's the owner of Reno Running Company, and he is a plethora of knowledge on shoes, running, I mean, just about everything that has to do with locomotion. Yeah, Matt's a guru. He's the real deal. And I tell you what, he is really passionate about getting people in the community out there, getting them going, getting them running, helping them towards their goals. He really believes in culture. I love guys like Matt who, yeah, he has a business, but the business is surrounded around passion, around helping, around culture. And so I really encourage everybody to listen to what Matt has to say. I know that you're going to learn a lot about what you need to do if you decide that running is right for you. Here he is, Matt Balzer. Matt, you are about to do a lot of running. You are preparing for something crazy that I could never see myself doing. What are you about to go run? Oh, come on. You can you can do it if you want. If I wanted to. I don't think I want to. It's just all about the why. Well, actually, if you had asked me at the beginning of this year if I was going to run a marathon, I would have said, no way, man. Uh, I was right at about 200 pounds. You were pretty beefy for a bit. It was kind of my beefcake mode, and I didn't really do a lot of running in the beginning of this year. I was mainly taking care of my knee because I had torn my meniscus. Falling through your roof. Yeah, man. Leave it to me. (laughs) Leave it to me. And uh, of course, you just kind of use that as an excuse, too, where, okay, well, I'm just going to lift a lot. Guess it's time to get buff. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. It uh, it feels good to to kind of be buff and get strong, but my love is running. And I was actually just discussing this with Matt Balzer, who's in here today with us. Hello, Matt Balzer. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me back. Nice to have you back. Matt, you were our very first guest and you set off this domino effect. Look what you've done. Episode 25. Here we are, man. Honored to be here. I can't believe we're at episode 25 already. Isn't that crazy? I know. It feels like we just started this. Time flies. But yeah, so Matt actually is the reason why I'm doing this dang 26.2 event, which uh, I don't know how Matt even convinced me to do. I can't remember how that even happened, Matt. It was an easy convince. I, I didn't I didn't sense much pushback from you. So yeah, I heard you were putting together this, uh, this team to qualify for Boston. And then the team that goes, you get to kind of be part of this elite squad. And you're going to be treated a little bit more like you're part of an elite team at Boston, right, Matt? That yeah, that, that's the plan. So originally we had, it was kind of some birthday things. We had somebody turning 30, me turning 40, a friend turning 50, and one turning 60. And we were trying to figure out something cool to do for those birthday milestones. And Boston, you need to qualify for. So we thought, well, let's do a race, qualify for Boston, and have Boston be kind of the big dance on our birthdays. And those four snowballed into about 15 now. And I think you were feeling a little left out and wanted to jump on the bandwagon. And we're happy to have you. 
Yeah, I was like, you don't think I can qualify? Is that why you didn't ask me? You were a foregone conclusion. (laughs) But no, you got me back into running consistently as a goal and then actually doing North Face this weekend. And that was another goal I kind of set for myself along the way. I do honestly love trail running. I think that's my first love cross country or trail running. And I do appreciate the roads. I like to maybe see how fast I can be in this marathon and CIM offers you a good opportunity to run a fast time, or at least for a marathon to be able to run fairly fast for that distance. But, um, I, I decided, okay, I might as well go back to North face, which I had done about, geez, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago or so. And so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go back there again too. So I've kind of, I've really gotten addicted to the process. And I tell you what, I feel like a runner again, finally. And I was telling you before we got started today that I don't want to get too far away from that again. I, I think that I spent a long time, yeah, getting strong, which is important. And just in my mind, kind of retiring the competitive side of running and just being a little more recreational. But now I've got that competitive mindset and I'm going after those times and goals again, which uh, I appreciate. So yeah, thank you for bringing me back to running, Matt. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. How's your training been going? My training's been going great, actually. Just very similar to you, I always fancied myself more of a trail runner, off-road runner. Never really had a great passion for running a road marathon, Uh, but the whole Boston thing wanted to bucket list that. And now that I've been doing it, it's just been this awesome journey and... I'm now I'm looking at okay should I run all the boss all the uh, marathon majors the world marathon majors I'm getting really into it and you know part of that training for me was all the strength training that we did over the winter um you know I'm looking a little more like a runner you're looking a little more like a runner but we did a lot of weight training over the summer and ultimately I just love being out there I like getting to go out and do that every day and injuries suck and doing all that weight training over the summer, I just feel bulletproof. I've been able to run the mileage that I want. I've been able to run the paces that I was hoping to run. And I don't come back and feel sore and injured. I'm still doing some of the strength training stuff at home because I know that it's important. And I want to keep this thing going. So once CIM's over, the plan is get back in the gym a few more days a week start the process over and come back even stronger and faster next year strength training for running what a concept guys it's a must-have yeah no of course that's you know my passion to bring strength into the running community and i had developed a much better strength base in this process over the last several years. I love to hear that you haven't had the niggles or the setbacks that often occur when you increase volume or you start to increase your distance. And those type of things are what we train for. So we can do those things. And uh, very similar for me is I've had 
uh, zero issues with my knee. I've had zero issues, period. It's been really smooth sailing. So it's all part of the process. And I'm glad I got in that, that base work, but I'm also happy that I'm kind of getting back to my roots and uh, getting back to being a runner again, really. So I thought we were going to be able to train a little bit more. We were doing a little bit more running together over the summer, but busy with my schedule and uh, you, sir, are always busy. I don't know how you do it all. So I'm looking forward to getting back in the gym with you too, though. Yeah, man. And I'm the one over here who's not training for a marathon and I'm feeling real buff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, but you know, Matt, I also have to say when I was doing a little bit more of my beefy training, I was doing a little bit more for aesthetics, if you will. The idea that how you look or how big you are, how much muscle you have, or those type of things, those aesthetics are nice. But what's funny to me is as I get into better running condition and as I feel like I'm a better runner now than I have been, quite honestly, in probably a decade, a lot of people that see me that are used to see me is like, man, like you've been sick or something. And I'm like, no, I, I, yes, I get it. I'm leaner now, but I feel better than ever. And now, you know, I'm, I feel that responsibility almost to remind people that it's about what's right for you, but it's also runners, they might be lean, but it doesn't mean that they're weak. And my kinetic power has improved significantly from when I was a bigger guy. So I was just telling you before I'm doing five clapping push-ups, and I mean my chest going all the way down to the ground and less than five seconds. Same thing with my box jumps, which I wasn't doing before. So I feel like I'm more powerful and that my relative strength and power is serving me better than ever before. So, you know, lean and mean, I prefer that personally. And I just need to remind people that it's not about aesthetics. It's about you and your personal goals and what kind of person do you want to be? What kind of legacy do you want to live? That's what's important and be true to you. Don't uh, get caught up in, well, do my biceps fill out this shirt today, which, you know, like I say, I've, I've kind of gotten caught up in that before. It's, it's, it's nice to get the compliments, but I feel better myself than I have in a long, long time. Yeah. And, you know, I do my clapping push-ups because my one-year-old son thinks they're hilarious. <laughs> And because you say they're good for me. Right. So, Matt, you're here today to talk about some of the shoes that you have at Reno Running Company, giving people maybe a better idea about what they should be looking for. It's, you know, Jake, you said before something I think a lot of listeners go by, which is more, how do these shoes look? Do they match my outfits, right? Yeah, and that's really my experience with buying shoes, even though I know there's so much more to which is why I'm excited to talk to Matt Balzer because he knows why you should or should not wear this pair of shoes, when, for how long, all of these things that I don't really take into consideration. So whether you're a novice runner, recreational, or you're going for elite times, it is really important to be able to know what type of shoe serves you. So Matt, let's go ahead and ask you 
where should we start when we come into Reno Running Company or a running store? How do we know where to even start with this process? Well, you've started out pretty good just by coming into your local specialty run store. So most stores across the country, they're going to be filled with experts that are shoe nerds through and through. So we'll typically start off with a bit of an interview process. So we want to get to know you as a customer, what you're trying to achieve, what your active goals are, um, the experience that you're looking to get out of a shoe. And that's one of two major components that we look at when we're recommending footwear for people. So what experience does that runner want to get? What, what do they want their shoe to do for them? And then how is that shoe going to support them and hopefully keep them injury-free? And we go through a video gate analysis to do that. Um, the knowledge that our staff has just as experts help us to do that. And you know, best case scenario, we send somebody out the door with a brand new pair of shoes that they just cannot wait to put on in the morning and go out for that walk or run. I love it. But you know, even as a lifelong runner, being a competitive runner in my past, I will admit that I've gone into your store before, looked at a pair of shoes that I know are going to serve me well in my running, but they're just god-awful colors. I don't understand even how the company decides that these are the right uh, blends of colors or the design they come up with. I'm like, what? But you know what I learned to do is just ask like, hey, Matt, do these come in a different color? We can just see, first of all, if you can get them in different color, right? Easy, yeah. So they can still Mo match my outfit. So, so. Th yeah, they can match that Pendola blue, baby. Right, I always want Pendola blue when I can get them or at least black, I like that, you know. But so, Matt, let's talk now about, I think first, how the novice runner, just maybe taking up running, getting off the couch, you know, couch to 5K type of person. Let's start with that person. And usually those runners need a little bit more help with their gait as well. They're going to get a gait analysis from you because they probably don't know, oh, I'm an overpronator or I'm an underpronator or, you know, these type of things. They, it's, that's not even in their language yet, right? So they can find out from you guys with a gait analysis what shoe is going to serve them, right? They can. And, you know, most of those people and most people even all the way through elite runners might not even care what the results of that gait analysis are after the fact. They just want the confidence that they've come in, they've done that due diligence, and they leave with a pair of shoes that they love and that's going to support them on that journey. I think that's important to bring up, though, because I talk to a lot of new runners or novice runners and they don't think it's that important that they have such and such a shoe. It's like, well, I'm not, I'm not really a runner anyway. So it's just, I'm just going to get a kind of, you know, it's not, you don't have to necessarily get a top of the line shoe and we'll get to that later, but it does really matter which shoe you get, right? And you got to remember that you are still an individual with your process. You need to be able to support your mechanics. It doesn't matter how fast you're running. You still need that support, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Support your mechanics as well as just having a shoe that, that fits your foot, your type of foot, um, and allows that experience that you're looking for. And that's different for everybody. Uh, it's one of the reasons why we care, carry so many models of shoes is that, you know, there might be out of the 
hundred plus models that we have in store, there might be five that match what Matt Pendola is looking for in a shoe, and that supports the type of runner that he is. And of those five, maybe one or two of them fit and feel perfect, or you put it on and you're like, that is the one. And so that's what we help you figure out. I'm going to wager that that may even be more important for someone who isn't an experienced runner, because maybe if you have years of proper training and practice, maybe you could kind of power through some dysfunction. But someone like myself who doesn't train deliberately for this stuff, my overpronation, if it's not addressed immediately in the proper pair of shoes, that's really going to be a potential for injury. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the truth is, and just because I'm staring at him right here, that Matt Pendola can probably run in just about any shoe out there and have a great deal of success in it. Um, But not all of us are like that. Yeah, no. I personally, I've had, I've been through the entire range of injuries as far as running-related injuries, Um, posterior tib, tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, runner's knee, IT band syndrome, the whole gambit. I like to think that that makes me better at connecting with our customers and knowing what they're going through. Uh, But for me, you know, certain shoes work and certain shoes don't. Um, And certainly somebody coming in that's just starting that journey, that's a real important part because I truly believe that that's going to give them at least a decent foundation for success, that they're going to love running. Um, There's a reason why running is so hard and people fall out of love with it, and a lot of it has to do with injuries, and the correct footwear can help with that. I love that you shared that, Matt. As a four-time National Xterra champion, I think a lot of people assume that you just have always had this great running gait and you've had no issues. So I I just love that you're sharing that side of things and you're allowing people inside your view and you've had these issues and now you are better coach and can give better advice for getting people into the right shoes. And I think we should mention too, if you're not a runner, is it important that you just get a pair of good running shoes to walk around in? Yeah, absolutely. There are very few shoes out there outside of running shoes or walking shoes. Really, the big difference between a running shoe is a walking shoe is historically a walking shoe comes in a leather upper. It's going to be mostly the same midsole, outsole, um, so what's actually supporting your feet. Um, But whether you're a runner, a walker, um, you're going to the gym, you're doing boot camp, or you're just standing around on your feet all day, Um, let's say you work in a warehouse and you're walking back and forth on a concrete floor, you're just, you know, standing on an assembly line somewhere, having that support that truly supports your structure um, is very, very important. So a good pair of running shoes, whether you're going to walk or run in them, should they feel really supportive? Do they feel good right away? No break-in period needed. They, you, you could, I've had shoes where I've, I've put them on the first time and I get to the end of the driveway and I'm like, nope, not the shoe for me. And I've had shoes that I've put them on the first time and I've ran 15 miles in them. And it's, you know, like we've been together our whole lives. Yeah. Although I should mention, I think you would probably agree that if you're going to race in these shoes, you should try them out in 
your training and your practice, not just buy them the day before your race. I've had a runner who did that and found out the hard way that they felt okay for that first mile or so. But then after that, there was extra friction. He didn't realize he had, there was no break in period really needed, but he didn't realize he had a little extra wiggle room that uh, was not needed. And then he had some injuries from, uh, from that. Yeah, and I think that's true for anything you do on race day. You never want race day to be the first time you do something. So it shouldn't be the first time you have a certain breakfast. It shouldn't be the first time you try a new sports nutrition drink. It shouldn't be the first time you put on shoes or your shorts, for that matter. Uh, lots of stuff can go wrong when you do that. So I always tell my clients when they're going to go in to see you, Try on at least three pair and make sure even if the first pair you put on, you love them, just try on another couple pair. Even if that is still going to be that first pair, it just reinforces that's the right pair. Is that is that about right, Matt? Yeah, we usually start with five. Um, so we'll, we'll go through the gate analysis. We'll have that initial kind of interview conversation. And from there, our staff will narrow down five shoes that they think will be a decent fit for everything that this customer is looking for. And, you know, then we go through the try-on process. Yeah. So if it's me, I'm going to have at least five pair of shoes that I rotate. I, I, I know I have more like 20 at home and that's because I'm a running geek and all of that. And I know you probably have more pairs than I do, but, um, the average person going to pick up a pair of running shoes should they just get that one pair or what if they're going to run in them, but then also walking them because it feels so good and they're just constantly using those shoes every day. Should they get a second pair or why should they get two pairs? So I think it's always a good idea to have the two pairs, um, you know, maybe not necessary, but you just have to understand that if it's a shoe you're going to run in, if it's a shoe you're going to work in, if it's a shoe you're wearing around with the kids all day on the weekend, that's time on your feet. So you consider that mileage. Most of the time we look at shoes and the rough estimates are three to 500 miles, depending on the shoe. Shoe we'll talk about later, 100 miles for a pair of shoes. But if you're, maybe you're only running 300 miles for the whole year. If you're on those shoes 12 hours a day for an entire year, you've put way more than 300 miles on that pair of shoes. Um, so you have to take that into account and know that the shoes are going to break down and stop supporting you. Um, ideally, I think for injury prevention, having multiple pairs of shoes is a great idea. And if you can find two different shoes that support your body in a similar way, they do what we need them to do for you. Um, but they're two different shoes. That's just slight little differences in the way that your foot hits the ground and rolls through the gate, uh, whether you're walking or running in them. And, um, you know, running you get running injuries because it's a very repetitive process. And if we can break up the little nuances of that repetitiveness um, by having just two different shoes, or simply you come out your driveway, you turn left one day, you turn right the next day, those little things help keep those injuries at bay. Right, and I believe in getting in trail running, even if you're gonna train for the CIM marathon, it's all gonna be on the road. And I know you do too. Trail running is uh, imperative to me that we have some variation, but does that mean that we have to have trail shoes too? So for example, if I have an athlete who's going to be running in the park on trails, but those trails are not super technical 
I feel like they can get away with their road shoes. If they're going to be on technical trail going up the mountains, then I'm really encouraging them to get those trail shoes. But uh, speak a little bit on that, Matt. Sure. So a trail shoe is going to shine on the downhill more than anything when you're looking at downhill running traction. Um, so we always start there. Do, you, do I need a trail shoe? What kind of trails are you running on? If it's steep downhill, trail shoes all the way. Um, and that's just simply to keep you from falling. Trails out here in our Reno Tahoe area, as you know, are very rocky. So trail shoes commonly will have a rock plate or a rock guard in them that will keep those rocks from piercing through that soft, squishy midsole. Uh, So that's a nice benefit too. But certainly if you're on your local city trail and it's a DG or a crushed limestone, rolling hills are relatively flat. Um, I personally, I wear my road shoes on that. Um, They're lighter, uh, don't really feel the need to, to run a trail shoe in that environment. Technology on these shoes are amazing these days because I used to get trail shoes that felt like they were five pounds each. And sure, they protected me from getting my foot jabbed on a rock or getting some sort of a maybe ankle roll because I didn't have enough um, support running down these technical trails at a faster pace or something like that. But I just didn't like how heavy they were. But now with these plates in there, they're super light. You don't even know they're in there. It's crazy how light they can make these trail shoes now too. Yeah, they're, you know, down in that six, seven ounce range, if you're looking at a a racing trail shoe, um, you know, very very small amount of difference between a road version and a trail version of essentially the same shoe. Um, you're just adding a little extra of that rubber on the outsole for grip in a lot of cases. So, what is the difference if you have somebody coming in who's training for a marathon versus a 5K? What kind of shoe are you going to advise for the 5K runner or 10K runner versus, say, the marathoner? So, we look more at kind of time time on their feet, right? Because 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, if we take those standard dif- distances, um, that's all relative to to anybody. So you could have a world-class 10K runner that's running a 30-minute or faster um, 10K. And you could have a 10K runner that's running two hours for the 10K. Well, that world-class 10K runner is running a marathon in two hours. So it's really more about the time that they're going to spend um, during that event and the type of shoe that needs to support them. Um, Certainly as as somebody steps up the volume for them, volume meaning time on feet, the time that they're going to spend, the frequency that they're going to spend running every week, if they're making a step up in distance or a step up in volume, um, you know, the general wisdom there is we go with a little more cushion. Um, there's just more chance that they're going to get that muscle fatigue and breakdown. And the shoes with the higher cushion these days, I certainly, I believe, do a better job at that. And I believe you would say if somebody's more of a Clydesdale, say they weigh over 200 pounds, but they're training for a 5K, probably still something with more cushion for that athlete as well. Yeah, generally, yes. I've seen some Clydesdales at 200 pounds. Uh, <clears throat> Matt Pandola earlier this year that's still pretty uh, swift on his feet. So um, again, uh, relative, but yeah, um, you know, they're every... 
every body has a different amount of desired cushion that I think their body needs um, in order to stay injury free. And so we look at that with the mobility that they have. And you can get cushioning and shock absorption from your own natural mechanics through your arch, through the bend in your knees. How much of that do they have? They could have great articulation in those areas and get away with a very, very minimal shoe. Um, Or you could have somebody with chronic knee pain that's got runner's knee and they're just overworking their quads. And in that case, a little more cushion in the shoe would help that person. Fantastic. So let's talk a little bit more about some of the technology in these shoes. I know that you wanted to talk about some models today, what you have available at your store, but also just to make our listener aware, wherever you're living, what's out there today, what can serve you for these goals? Yeah, so I was excited to talk shoes today. I mean, one, I'm obviously I'm a shoe nerd, but um, the last, I'd say, five, six years in, in running shoe design and engineering um, has just really been explosive in the advancements that we've had. So there have been periods of times, like in any industry, where you have these stagnant periods, and then all of a sudden, something comes along and it changes the game. So, you know, that's the hope with the Breaking 2 project with Kipchoge, right? Like, let's see if somebody can break a two-hour marathon, and then how fast will all these other people break the two-hour marathon barrier? And I feel like footwear has kind of come along hand-in-hand with that, where there's new technology, new materials that are just making shoes so much fun. You know, the one I think we start with, the one that's being talked about, in all the publications is the Nike Vaporfly Next Percent. Yes, I'm so glad you've brought these up because you are the guy that I wanted to talk to. I just listened to another podcast that was all about these. I don't really understand it. And to be honest, even using the word technology, I think of you know computers and smartphones, but these shoes are groundbreaking technology. They, yeah, they are. And there, there are all sorts of resources out there where we can find the, all the little nuances of the Vaporfly. And, you know, it's special foam. It's a carbon plate. They're super lightweight. They've got a massive stack height, meaning lots of foam underneath your foot and a rocker profile. So that's kind of the basic gist of what makes that shoe that shoe. Uh, What I wanted to talk about is, you know, who is that appropriate for? So you see on TV these, what, 30-something guys running in the Enios 159, and they're all wearing pink shoes, and yeah, they're all running super fast, way faster than any of us can even comprehend running probably 800 meters, let alone a marathon. And I wonder, I wondered at the beginning of our training for this marathon, is that the right shoe for me? Like, okay, cool, Kipchoge can wear it. Can I wear it? Yeah, if I put these on, am I going to break a sub-two marathon? No. Nope. Nope. <laughs> but could I potentially get to a PR? Maybe. Um, and, and I say maybe because I think while almost anybody could get something out of that next percent, It's probably not the right marathon shoe or half marathon shoe for everybody. But that doesn't mean that you can't have an exciting shoe. 
Hoka's got something similar called the Carbon X that I think is just much more um, attainable for the vast majority of people. It absolutely will make you faster. And I think for a lot of our customers, um, a lot of my friends, a lot of the guys that are in this group that are doing CIM in Boston, they'll be faster over the course of a marathon in that shoe than they will be in the next percent. Because I think the next percent does take a special kind of mechanics and um, I think just history of miles um, and knowing your body in order to run fast in that shoe for an entire marathon without having your body break down to the point that it's going to be costly by the end of 26.2 miles. So a listener might be wondering, how does a shoe make someone faster? They might not know the technology behind this, and you mentioned you have to have the mechanics to support this. So can you explain if, let's, I guess, first say, what are the right mechanics for a shoe like this, and how does it help you get faster, and is it cheating to do it? (laughs) Yeah. Is it cheating to do it? The question. Um, Well, it helps you get faster uh, because the foam that is in the shoe is is very, very reactive. So I've I've heard a number of different studies, but the consensus is roughly two times more energy return than any other foam substance in other shoes out there right now. So you put your foot on the ground and it's going to return twice the amount of energy back to you. So that's going to propel you forward. There's a carbon spring in the shoe, um, kind of a leaf spring, if you will, that also helps propel yourself forward faster. Uh, And the shoe is just incredibly lightweight. I mean, you look at it on the wall and it looks like a big shoe. There's a lot of foam underneath your foot and you pick it up and it's like a piece of paper. All of those things help make you go faster. I remember, because it was just a fun day for me, we were in our our training. Uh, we used to do our kind of early Monday morning mile repeats, or we might do it by minute, six-minute repeats. And there's a lot of us that are all around the same time. And so we're plugging along. And then all of a sudden, one week, I show up with those shoes, and I'm conversationally running 10 to 15 seconds per mile faster. <laughs> and many people in the group were not happy about that. And I said, hey, guys. The shoes are for sale, man. You come in the store and you get them any day. Um, so I think you know that's that also speaks to like, are they fair? Um, in my opinion, yes. Yeah, they're they're fair. Anybody can go and buy them. Um, the next percent, the current one that is out, not the one that Kipchoge wore at the Enios 159. That was kind of a special one-off makeup. Um, but the next percent is the third rendition in this uh, Vaporfly series, if you will. And each time um, it seems like Nike has put more and more of these out there. So you know you can you can go and buy them if you were a professional athlete running for any other brand you could use those shoes but i think this goes back to what i started talking about within these kind of last 5 years is that you know certainly with this shoe nike stepped up the game and and we're talking race shoes here um, but with all sorts of training shoes too so i remember Gosh, I was running in like some Adidas uh, years ago, and that was the shoe. All the world records are being broken in this Adidas Audios. And then they came out with Boost. And now the Vaporfly Next Percent. So, yeah, it's the best thing that's out there right now. 
But it doesn't mean that somebody else doesn't have something in the works and that all of these companies, to my knowledge, have a fair and equal shot at building their next super shoe. And it's just technological advancement. I mean, I, I'm riding a different bicycle today than I was riding when I was 15 years old. It's a heck of a lot faster than the one that I had when I was in high school. Sure. But my question is, where is that line? How good are shoes going to get before somebody tries to put rockets on the bottom of them and then we finally say, okay, no, you can't do that. But, you know, if this continues and they just get amazing and even better every, every year, records being broken constantly because of these shoes, where is that line? So short of the rockets, wouldn't, I mean, wouldn't you want that just to continue forever? Oh, for me personally, it sounds rad. Absolutely. I would love that. But I mean, if it's a competitive sport, you know, like professionals, where, where is their line to where it's no longer them, it's more the shoe. So we can always rely on Jake to take it like just, you know, right past that line. So, you know, but Hey, devil's advocate here. I, I get what he's saying. Let's take bikes, for example, because you were talking about how much we've advanced there. And I, no offense, guys, but I sometimes see athletes that need to lose 20 pounds, but they're getting that time trial bike that weighs five pounds less, and they can't average over 20 miles an hour, and they have that brand new bike out there. It's not really serving them because they're not at their best efficiency in the first place. So I feel like the athletes that can even get away with using this shoe and using the technological advances, which which is not external to a point, like there's not actual rockets on them. So it still has to be your boost, has to be your performance. But how fast do we need to run to, or how efficient do we need to be for these shoes to even be useful, Matt? So, you know, I don't think it's a matter of how fast you need to run. Like, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say, eh, if you're not a sub six minute miler, these shoes aren't going to do you any good. Uh, my parents were just in town, and my dad is, he's in his 70s, but he's very active. He's got his training shoes, um, he's got a Hoka Carbon X, and then I've got my Vaporflies. So we did a little test, and he did a warm up, and then we did three one mile loops. He was way faster in the Vaporflies. And, you know, he's a, a 10-minute miler, 9-minute miler, um, if he's just going out on a long run right now. Um, he was 40 seconds faster for a mile loop in the Vaporfly. Now, does that mean it's the right shoe for him for every purpose? No, absolutely not. But, you know, he is a he's a average runner. I mean, he's a way above average runner, I'd like to say, for being in his 70s. Um, but, you know, he's in that 10-minute mile range, um, and the shoes are are still faster. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. So how much uh, of an investment are these shoes? I, I have a pair, so I, I kind of know, but how much do these cost, Matt? So they're steep. They're $250 uh, per pair, not per shoe, per pair. And I have heard I've heard stories, rumblings, and this is, you know, even from within Nike that the advantage, the full advantage that these shoes give you, which is stated at about 4.8% on average, is lasts for about 100 miles. So you're getting about $2.50 per mile with this shoe. Um, it can, you know, it can add up quick. And 
the shoes will make you run faster. You put them on today and you do a workout, I think they'll make you run faster. But the other thing I wanted to get into is, you know, what if what if you ran faster every day? And this is my question for you, Matt, because you're, you know, certainly more of an expert on this than me. If I was to run, let's say I got them for free, and I was to run in the Vaporfly every day, which means every single one of my runs is going to be faster than in my normal training shoe. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for me? At the end of our training at the marathon, do you think I run faster because I'm doing that? Or do you think I've done myself a disservice by relying on that shoe for every run? That's a great question. Just off the top of my head, I would say that I don't think that you should run in them every day because when you're gonna use shoes that don't give you as much of that advantage in your training, you're going to work a little bit harder. You're going to have to get in a little bit more strength work, if you will, to be able to push down into the ground and apply a little bit more force with those shoes that don't are, that aren't as responsive. Maybe you're going to develop a little bit more of your mechanical advantages for the shoe by training in other shoes. Um, I would say maybe it would also be a little bit of a mix where it would maybe be your main quality day that you wear those shoes. So maybe a little bit more often, but not every day. Yeah, I, you know, I'd agree with that, but I, I wanted to get your take on it. To me, I think about it like altitude training, right? Like, could you run faster every single day if you went down to sea level? Sure. Is it the best thing for you? Eh, maybe not. I agree. That's exactly what I was thinking about in that scenario. So when we're using advantages like this, we might start to also lose some, if you will, like almost a placebo effect where now I don't have the shoes, I'm not going to be as fast. So that's the other thought process I had there is I always have trained in shoes that are a little bit heavier so that I can establish in my mind, well, when I put on my lighter shoes, even though it might be a little bit more placebo to me, I'm going to be faster. Yeah. And, you know, I think that kind of sums up the, should these shoes be banned? How far is too far? You know, what, what do you get out of a shoe is that ultimately you still have to put that work in. Um, they might make you a faster version of yourself on, on race day, but they're not going to make any one of us in this room a sub two hour marathoner. Right. And, but I will say that cause you got a second pair of these shoes, didn't you? I do. I have the green and the pink pair. Right. So I will say that on that note where I was talking about training in shoes that are a little bit heavier, but I do think that you got to get the feel for the shoes and you do need to do some of your sessions where you're using the lighter shoes. So you get that, that turnover. So you get that uh, feeling of the shoe and the response and those training sessions where you're doing maybe a little bit more quality speed work, you want those lighter shoes. So that's where it, probably two pairs would be more optimal. So you could have one pair that you're training in and then the other pair that you really save maximum response and save that for the race. 
Yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're getting up there now. Everybody's thinking, oh, running's a pretty cheap sport. And now you're talking about two pairs of trainers and two pairs of vapor flies. I think, you know, if you can, absolutely. Yeah, but running, that's a good point because running to me, it is a cheap sport, right? You don't you don't have to have all these bells and whistles, but that's how I compare it to it in my mind is that, so what if I do spend $500 on these two pair of shoes? It's still a heck of a lot cheaper than the time trial bike that I got. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about this shoe, but I think that that's been the cool thing with the industry is that there's been a massive trickle-down effect. And I put this shoe on and I immediately smile um, because it's bouncy and you feel fast. But one of the shoes that I train in the vast majority of the days is $110 and it's got lively bouncy foam and it's lightweight so you don't have to spend a fortune on it. Um, I was helping a local athlete here. Um, she's running CIM with us. She's a coach at a local high school and she came in to find that CIM ratio and she ended up with this $110 shoe because we thought that that was going to better serve her on race day. Um, and she's a fast athlete. And it, you know, just because it gets all the hype doesn't mean that it's right for everybody. And running doesn't have to, you know, break the bank, so to speak. All right. So we've we've talked a lot about shoes. How important are the right socks, Matt? Socks are very important. Socks are everything. I mean, you could have you could have the best shoes in the world, and if you've got a balled up cotton sock that's soaking wet underneath your foot, you're not going to make it, um, you know, to the finish line. And so we always look for a microfiber moisture wicking sock, uh, relatively tight fitting. Um, that can come from synthetic or like a wool natural fiber. Um, but socks are really important, and I would say that. People are as passionate about their socks as they are about their running shoes, maybe even more so. Once people find that perfect sock, if you find a sock that has never given you a blister, you'll buy them for life. That's a great point. So, Matt, I might be putting you on the spot a little bit here, but I think nutrition is also a big component that's often misunderstood or misinformed when it comes to race day. So... Since you have all of this experience racing, can you walk us through maybe an example of a race where you're going to do, say, 5K or a marathon? What is the difference in the nutrition, especially, let's say, race morning? What's the, what's the difference there for you, Matt? So the, the timing there is one of the biggest differences. Uh, you know, 5K, I think about what, what I'm eating. Um, you know, I, I always eat healthy, but I think about that pre-race meal the morning of the race. Marathon, I'm thinking about that a couple days before the race. Am I hydrating all day, you know, days before the race? What kind of food am I putting in my body? Is it enough carbs? Is it too much fiber? So really, it's just the length that I'm making those choices. And then, of course, you've got to fuel for the caloric demands of the event um, that you're running. So if I'm going to go do next Thursday, I'll probably do a turkey trot 5k. It'll be maybe a banana, a maybe a really small bit of oatmeal and my cup of coffee. Um, certainly I'm going to take more than that on marathon race morning. 
But one of the things I found that at least works for me, uh, no matter what the race dif- distance is, and maybe even more important on the shorter distances, is to get up early and get that meal in about two and a half to three hours before the start time. It does a couple of things. One, it gives that time for that to get into your system and not just be sitting there heavy. Um, but I like to force myself to get up that early so that I can go through my protocol and I can do my trigger point release and I can do my glute activation and my foam rolling um, just so that I get to the start line feeling good. Absolutely. Before you run a marathon, do you do any priming? Do you jog? Do you do anything there or do you just get to the start line and go? No, I, I do a lot of stuff before. I, I do the same stuff before a marathon that I would before just about any race. If we were talking about pure speed type thing, if you know, if there's a local um, track event here that's a relay, and so you're doing a 400, an 800, a 1200, and a mile. So that, I think, takes some specific warm-up where you've really got to get your body up to speed. But I still do the morning jog. I do some strides and some builds to about 90% of max effort. Um, lots of recovery, but I've always found that if I can elevate my heart rate, get my body moving um, at least 30 minutes before the start of the race, uh, I just feel better. Okay. So a common philosophy on nutrition for a marathon, maybe three days leading up to a race, like you mentioned, I agree it's, you've got to think a few days before, is take in half the protein you normally take in and double the carbs. Is that uh, something you follow? I usually just stick with a pretty common meal uh, for me. I mean, my meals in general, uh, I think if you're training right, um, you're running enough volume that that pre-race meal should be kind of the same thing that you eat, you know, every day. So it's, you know, roughly that amount of protein where you're in that 20 to 30% protein, lots of carbohydrates, some healthy fats. Great. Yeah. I, I think that there's a lot of people listening that can get a better idea if they experiment in their training. Those days are when you'll find out what's working better and logging that don't do anything new before, especially not the morning of your marathon, right, Matt? Absolutely. So that's a common mistake a lot of people make. Just they listen to advice from somebody who's experienced marathoner and, okay, well, I'm just going to eat what you eat then the morning of. You got to make sure that it works for you. You got to practice this stuff first. Myself, as an example, I probably would not do well off of having oatmeal before even a marathon in the morning, even four hours before. It just doesn't work for me. But there are certain things that I will do. I'll get in about 60 grams of simple carbs leading up in that morning while I'm doing my preparation work, same thing, but I'm just going to get it in more sort of in a liquid form and easy to digest. But that's just different strokes, different folks. And um, for the marathon itself, getting to about the 20 mile mark for me, 
I've got to be really careful that I'm not going to bonk because I haven't gotten in enough support along the way. Like you feel fine, you feel fine, then all of a sudden you're bonking and uh, getting in some sugar along the way is important for me, right, Matt? So what, what do you do there leading up to say mile 20 for your last 10K, which we all know is kind of, that's the wall you got to get past, right? Sure. So I've, I've always looked at, um, in any long event, and you know, this will only be my second marathon. Um, I've got you know plenty of triathlons that were significantly longer than what I'm anticipating this marathon to take. But I always first look at what's going to be available to me out on the course. So I think if you have the ability to practice with what they're going to be serving or what they're going to have available um, to you on the course uh, is super important. Uh, I don't like to feel weighed down and carry my own nutrition if if possible. Um, I'd like to be able to just, you know, take that cup, whatever they have on the table or whatever form of kind of liquid gel carbohydrate mix they're going to have. So for this one, I've, you know, we carry the products at the store that they're going to be serving on the course at CIM. Um, pretty easy to switch over. Uh, to using those products, but my my plan is going to be as often as I can um, to be sipping like an electrolyte carbohydrate mix that will be there on on race day, just little sips. Uh, I you know I think Kipchoge displayed that perfectly in his breaking two. You know we're breaking three, but um, you know the same I, I think the same lessons are learned that if you're just taking little bits in the whole time, you you have a much better chance of staying nice and even energy levels instead of like, oh gosh, I haven't had anything for a while. I feel a crash coming and now it's too late. Little sips all the way throughout, hopefully, if uh, that's attainable. and then I'll probably look to do about four gels, which are roughly a hundred calories. Um, each. So they're about 25 grams of carbs per gel. So about 100 carbs in gel form over the course of the marathon. Yeah, that's the great points because what you said about getting used to the products that are going to be on the course, for example, if it's going to be, say, hammer nutrition on the course, you might want to start to get used to hammer nutrition if you're going to rely on the cups in the course rather than bringing your own stuff, right? Yep, or at least know that it's not going to work for you. So yeah. I think, you know, just trying it, that experimentation, will this work for me? And then if you don't have a sensitivity to it, then great, you know, you practice with that. But you absolutely want to know if it's not going to work for you so that you can bring your own. Yeah, and this is about time under tension really too. So for example, if you're doing a half marathon that's gonna take you three hours, this information is just as important. It's it's the time you're out there, not necessarily the distance you're running, right? Correct. And you know, CIM, the California International Marathon, the one we're doing, but any any major marathon, they've got a really cool page about um, information, you know, nutrition information, and they break that down. So they go through the typical caloric um, needs of a marathon that takes two hours, 2.30, 3.30, all the way up to, you know, the cutoff time, which might be seven plus hours, because um, those things vary greatly. If you're out there for three versus six hours, there's a big difference. Yeah, man. Okay, Matt, I'm a person walking into your store for the first time, and there's, there's the running shoes. You help me out with that. Do I really need the other 
higher technology type of apparel, how important is it that I have, say, a shirt that has wicking or do I just wear the cotton shirt I always wear? Do I need those supplements over there? What in your store would I be looking at and why do I want to make the choice to consider buying some of these other things that you offer? Well, ultimately, we're concerned about and passionate about improving that experience for our customer. So a cotton shirt, if that's what you're going to wear for the marathon, um, isn't going to wick moisture very well. Uh, It could lead to some chafing, and that's not going to be a great experience for you. And so you look at- Bleeding nipples are not a good thing. No, and it's not a good look either. So- (laughs) So you look at all of the time, your time, and how valuable that is, and the money and everything that you spent getting into reaching this goal, whether that's a marathon or it's the turkey trot coming up next week, um, or it's just the first time you're going to go run three miles. The experience that you'll get by having the proper gear, socks, shoes, apparel, nutrition is imperative. And if that makes you want to keep going and it improves your lifestyle, then you know that's what makes us happy. So from an apparel standpoint, we look at, um, just like with the socks, moisture wicking, um, technical fabrics that, is go- that are going to channel sweat away from high sweat area- areas and allow the shirt or the shorts or the tights to evaporate that moisture off more quickly, keep you drier longer. Um, All of those things make a big difference. Yeah, you know, if I have an athlete who needs to get their training done and it's a windy, cold day and they don't have the right apparel, they're cold, they're getting all this sweat now that's sort of gluing to them and they're feeling like an icicle and they're not enjoying the experience, they're less likely to get out there and do it again the next day. So having the right apparel and and feeling comfortable, that is important and I think it is worth the investment, right? But if I had, let's say I'm on a budget, I just, I got the shoes that I need, but what would you say, what are the top things that I really need to get my training done comfortably, I'm prepared, I have enough of the right apparel, what would those things be in your mind, Matt, that that are must-haves? So shoes, socks, depending on the weather that you're going to be running in, either, you know, a bottom, so shorts or tights, um, a short sleeve or a long sleeve, uh, maybe a windbreaker. Uh, You know, it's really half a dozen things um, that, that you need that thankfully a lot of the newest stuff is made with fabrics that help cut down on smell. So you could wear the same thing for all three runs during okay, your week. Okay, Matt, I'll see you soon. All right. <laughs> I'm guilty of, of that. I don't wash my running clothes as often as I should. So this new technology helps out a lot with at least my running partners. They don't have to suffer so much. No, yeah. seriously, that is very appealing to me and those around me. <laughs> but what, But Matt, when you mentioned socks, I had to kind of take a double take and I thought, yeah, that's actually a really good point. You know, as me, as an amateur runner, I can think of those pairs of socks that like, oh no, I definitely don't want to wear those today. But I, I haven't ever like really made that connection that those are something that I could invest in and make my runs better and more efficient. It's the little things that we overlook. The great John Wooden, who's uh, probably one of the greatest 
coaches of all time, but a basketball coach is to teach his athletes how to put their socks on properly so they wouldn't blister up. So yeah, I like to bring up stuff like that because we tend to forget and it can really make a big difference. And you know, my most important piece of advice for this whole run experience, it doesn't cost a thing. Find a community that supports you and that you can get involved in. So it, it's a group of people. Maybe it's a group of people at a local store run, or it's you know the the local coffee shop. They've got a run that's going on. Those type of things, I think, help improve the experience more than any piece of equipment that you can buy. And if you've got people there that you enjoy spending your time with and that support you no matter how fast or slow you are, no matter how happy or how bad of a day you're having, um, that is what gets you out the door every single day. And I think that's more important than anything is to just find a community of people that support you. Yeah. And you might not even know this, Matt, but I run a couple hours usually after your group runs on Wednesdays. And I usually end up seeing at least a few of your runners that might be finishing up, but sometimes I even get a chance to talk to some of them and they're the friendliest group. And they see that I'm running, they see that uh, we have our little group going, and uh, they just want that community to thrive. So they just, oh, there's a runner, and they just start talking to me and vice versa. And your name usually comes up, and uh, there's that automatic connection. So you've really done a great job starting to have that culture within our Reno community through your store. And you mentioned in the last podcast, but find that culture. So it's it's usually in these local running stores that you, you can find these groups that meet and you can find a way to become a part of that. Right, Matt? Absolutely. All right, fellas. Well, I wish you both the best of luck in your marathons coming up. I know you've been training hard. I know you're both going to do really well because you know what you're doing. You're prepared. You're feeling strong. I'll be uh, cheering you on from the couch and with my cup of coffee. And thanks for thanks for all that you, uh, you do, Matt, at your store. And Good luck to both you guys. This is also the time that we give the listeners a discount and a contest, everybody. You go to Matt's website, renorunningcompany.com. You enter your discount code, PENDOLA10. You get 10% off any purchase, right, Matt? Yeah, man. And that's just part one of the good news. We're also running a contest for the best review. That's right. We need your help letting other people know about the show. If you find something of value, write a review on Apple Podcasts, make it meaningful, make it sincere, and we will pick the best one to win a free pair of shoes from Reno Running Company. And that is our appreciation to you for listening and helping us spread the word. Yeah, man. So we are going to pick our winner for our best review, and that can be you, December 18th. You can even give this shoe to someone that you know for Christmas, or hey, it can be a present for you. And we're talking December 18th of 2019 for those of you listening way, way in the future. And in the meantime, thanks for getting in touch. We're always available via email, pendolaproject at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, man, let's make our running plan. And you can check out Reno Running Company here in Reno or Sparks or even online. Anywhere you live, anywhere you are, 
you have a chance to get this good gear we've been talking about today. Thanks for listening. 